Welcome to So Damn Curious, the podcast where curiosity leads the conversation. I'm your host, Dave Moss, a lifelong learner, explorer, and seeker of the stories that shape us. On each episode, I interview the innovators, the dreamers, and the creators from all corners of my ever-expanding world, and together we uncover the curiosities that have crafted their journeys, the questions that propel them forward, and the discoveries that define their paths. So whether you're here to find inspiration, ignite your own curiosity, or simply enjoy stories of passion and perseverance, you're in the right place. Let's dive into the minds of those who dare to ask, what if, and why not? and see where their curiosity has led them. Get ready to be inspired, to challenge your own boundaries, and to see the world through a lens of endless curiosity. All right, so here we go. My friend yeah. Joss, it's, uh, <laughs> I was telling you before we started recording that, that when I had this idea that, that you were the top of my list of, of people that I wanted to have on this podcast, uh, just because you are possibly one of the most fascinating people that I've ever had conversations with your, your breadth and depth of knowledge is just unbelievable to me. And this was a little, uh, selfish, uh, selfish thing for me to, to, to want to know more about you. And, uh, one of the first things I wanted to know, because I don't know this, this part of your journey is, is how, is how it all began. Uh, you are a photographer and, and, and that's how I knew you, but I feel like the story of, of Joss has got to be an interesting one, a circuitous one is full of, full of twists and tails and, and damsels and dragons. So <laughs> did, did you grow up, you live now in, in, in Portland or, or Portland, Oregon. Um, but is that where you grew up? Is that where the story began? Yeah, I, you know, I was lucky I was very, very lucky. Um, my father, first of all, he grew up in Nebraska and he grew up with six brothers and one sister and they were dirt poor. They had nothing. I remember my father telling me how he and his brothers would go to the local bakery and rake the, the dust off the ground and sort out the, the wheat kernels from the dust. Take the wheat kernels home and make bread. And <laughs> I think that stirred a passion in him, um, not only to have compassion for others, um, but it built this tremendous momentum for him to take off on his journey, which I won't tell that entire story, but uh, it basically landed me in the beginning of, a, of, of this environment, which, by the way, I think is, is really powerful for how we're shaped in a home that was a custom home at the end of this, this flag lot in this uh, custom uh, housing development that he built. He was, he was a builder and um, I was in this room that would look out over the whole valley, looking down over the, the forest that would go down these trails that would go down to this river. And I had the whole river and and forest to myself as a child like you know it's you know like i think i was from eight eight years old to i think 14 i had access to this river and i built a custom i built a dock you know he was inspiring me about how to build stuff and i was building tree forts and so i, I saved all my money earning uh by picking strawberries and i bought a boat and that boat 
was down on this dock above this waterfall that I would go down to. And I would go down there before school and uh, I would fish. I would catch these beautiful big trout and I, I would watch the geese coming up, you know, over the morning fog and all the, the muskrats and nutrients and beavers and raccoons and the whole wildlife scene was, was a big part of my life. And so I was like doing this early in the morning before going to school and I'd come back home with these fresh trout. My mom would cook the trout and, and uh, I would begin my day. And that was a big influence for me uh, as a starting point to be connected to nature. Mm-hmm. And it's not, maybe not as, as grand as, as the Rocky or as the, as the Canadian <laughs> landscape, but for me, know. you know, as a there's, kid, there's something about the big. Pacific Northwest that, that hugs up my heartstrings. <laughs> so I get it. <laughs> so, yeah, um, that's where, you know, it began. And then, you know, my, my mom and dad were always encouraging my parents. One thing, if I was to say one thing about them. Uh, as they always woke up in the morning, they read to each other. My dad would have this stack of books. My mom would have a stack of books. And I remember coming out uh, to breakfast and they were always reading parts of the books to each other. And that's how they started their day. And I was like, you know, if I reflect back on that, I'm just like, that is really powerful, right? Like, right? Like, because they're on the same page, you know, like, <laughs> And they're teaching each other, and they're mm-hmm. also taking turns in sharing and listening, uh, which created this this dynamic between them. And I always wondered why they had such an emotional presence, um, and I think that was the seed. That was the mustard seed that was right there, and I was witnessing it, and I, I watched that happen for years. And so I eventually started diving into the conversations with them. Um, I, I remember sometimes talking to my dad for over eight hours and, um, you know, store, of course I was studying communication. When I was in college when I got to that level of being able to have that conversation, but yeah, every once in a while I'd go, wow, we just had an eight hour conversation. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> or maybe it isn't, but I, I thought maybe, but then I soon realized that, um, you know, when he passed in 2004, um, at the age of 77, not not too old mm-hmm. um that i treasured those those conversations very deeply and so every person i speak with i kind of carry that that dialogue uh, that they shared with me um and i think it's i think every person has something to learn from and so i i think i try i don't think some people who know me would think that i i i would i i, I strive for listening to be my pursuit <laughs> so I, I would I would say you've nailed that superpower. Uh, you are probably a, a, fr- a friend of mine. Um, I, was, I was spending some time with uh, with him out on um, Big Island in Hawaii. We were sitting in this hot pool, and he said something that's uh, that's stuck with me, and it it definitely strikes me as something that it'll make sense in a second. But he said that uh, conversations are ideas where, where ideas come to have sex. And I feel like every time I have conversations <laughs> with you, it is like that is just like deep, intimate, passionate, sometimes messy uh, experience. Uh, I, I have learned so much about the art of dialogue and the art of conversation by just having conversations uh, with you because you just, you listen so intently and then you have this really, really great 
you know, gem to take, take the conversation on. Whereas I feel like some people, when you speak with them, they're just waiting for their turn. You know, they're not, they're not mm. present with you while you're speaking. They're just, they're already formulating what they're going to say in the next place. Mm. Do you feel like that was that the type of conversations that you had with your father? Did you learn that in, in those dialogues? Oh yeah. Mm. Uh, I feel like, well, my dad would tell me sometimes he was, uh, I think, I think he had a, a, like a special tuning, tuning fork, you know, and he would vibrate with, with certain people or thoughts, probably thoughts more than just people. Right. And he would tell, he told me once that he would be, he could be in a room full of people and then he could look over and that same person would be looking right at him because he felt them. Hmm. And I'm like, whoa, that's, that's that's cool. <laughs> like, uh, but I guess, I don't know why I'm saying that, but I, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, um, he, he, he distilled a, a sense of sensitivity in me. Um, and particularly because of some of the events that happened in his life and early in his life and at the end of his life. Um, but I've had a lot of other influences too above and beyond him. He was the definite starting point of that, but I had a, an amazing grandfather uh, and grandmother. And, and I, I, I just came back from, from a whole family gathering where there's a hundred uh, of our family gathered for a family picnic. Hmm. And so I saw a hundred of my relatives just last week. Um, but my grandfather, just to say one thing about that guy, I, I recently learned that he hoed 20 acres uh, by hand in the, in the middle of the depression and he planted um, potatoes and he hoed the whole, he hoed and planted the whole thing, 20 acres. That's a lot. That's I was a lot. just like, God, like, wow. Uh, anyway, hard work and um, respect and, and, you know, uh, you, you listen twice and you speak once, right? Or maybe mm -hmm. listen four times and you speak once, right? <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, I've, I mean, there's a whole other story about listening that I could share with you. Um, Please do. I think I've shared with you once before. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just finished. I'm kind of all over the map here, by the way, but no, no, uh, right. I, I that, just, that's the point of this. Just Rome. <laughs> I just, I just, I just had finished, you know, my whole study of, of rhetorical tradition at the university of Oregon. And I had this opportunity to capture, to, to witness about five professors that were at the end of their career. Right. So these, like we were going into classes where it was the last class they were teaching. Mm. And it was just like, it just like, there's this term in rhetoric called um, exigency. And it was this exigency of, of wanting to listen and change and grow forward with, with what is being said. And there was an urgency because that's the last moment that they're teaching. And you're like, wow, I got to write this down. It's like, if I don't, you know, this is, this is a piece of gold they're sharing with us. But anyway, this whole thing is, is that this one professor invited me over to Holland and he was at the time considered the number one theater arts professor in the U S his name was Grant McKerney. And I'll never forget it because I, you know, as a 23 year old, I went over to Europe and I, he invited me into these, into these villages. Um, one was called Leiden and it was outside of Amsterdam. He would ride me on bikes and he would, 
tour me all through Amsterdam and tell me the whole history, the meaning behind everything. I'm just like following this guy, like as he's like stopping and reciting poems and, and quoting, you know, literature and the history to me. And anyway, the, the point of telling you this is because he guided me and he introduced me to all these people. And he shared with me this concept called Chazelech. And uh, Chazelech is a Dutch term. I think some of my friends who, who know me have, have shared this before, but I want to define it the way he defined it to me, to you. And maybe I've shared this with you before, but... Um, no, I'm only aware of the term from Ted Lasso. <laughs> uh, oh, right. Okay, so that was interesting. They brought that up. I was like, yeah. wow, they brought that up. Um, so the way it was taught to me was when you are interacting with another person, you enter a space of authentic listening, which means that you're 100% focused on being... Uh, Open, wide open-minded and curious about pulling the other person out of them. And that is the whole goal, to pull them out of them. And in the, in the etiquette of Chazelech, when I was taught it, the other person does the same thing back to you. So their 100% goal is to pull you out of you. And when this thing happens between two people who are genuinely, you have to be in love with, with, with kind of the person and, and what, to that level of curiosity. You suddenly have this this dense form of of presence that that shows up, and so this this like you were saying, you know, I'm not like sitting here thinking about what I'm going to say next because I'm so in, involved and and committed and and curious about who you are and what you're saying. Not only that, but feeling and trying to visualizing the whole thing. And there's this timeliness timelessness that happens in that process, and it's beautiful magic. It's so gorgeous. It's like it's like the best. Um, dialogue uh, can last a lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. Like good dialogues last a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so I was following, I was following Grant McKerney around in Leiden and he was introducing me to all these people and he would step back and he would, he would say, that's happening right there. You see that? You know, and I'm like, whoa, and I'm watching this. And, and so I have carried around this term with me in my head thinking of, of when I speak and look at people and and I'm not perfect at it by all means. I'm, you know, I'm, I get caught up in the whole fast-paced multitasking thing, of course. But when I when I focused and I have people who I care about or who care or, or who are curious with me, um, I just engage in that, and and it it feels really beautiful and timeless. And and I think I think what happened, what I'm saying here also is is that I believe that a, a third entity shows up between two people when you have a good dialogue. There's this unknown flow that happens out of nowhere that is, is kind of like the stream of consciousness that's coming in between you and I when we do this together. And it's beyond, uh, it's almost like it's our muses that are kind of talking through us, I think. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. I, mean, it's, it's, I, was uh, just, I was just it's, drinking it's, that it's, all it's in. It's just like a... Yeah. I don't know. You know, you know, not, you don't always have the time. I mean, you can't always do it, but you know, when you can pull it off, it's, it's really powerful. And, you know, like, I don't know, I've always kept journals in my life. So like I have conversations from people that I've had with, um, you know, all, <laughs> all throughout when I, like, this is a journal that I've had that I, that I, look at how beat up this journal is right now. That's amazing. It's like this journal that, that I've carried around. I basically have been like writing down thoughts and quotes about 
like the distilled thoughts and quotes about what people have shared with me. And I, I always date it and I always say who it was and where we were. So that it kind of like takes me back um, in time uh, and brings me back into that conversation. Mm. Like here's like with Francis Bacon. Readeth make a man broad, speak a man ready, and writing an exact man. Mm. <laughs> like, like, oh, I thought that was really cool. Like, anyway, so uh, I've just got these endless things in these in these journals. That, here's this one journal I carried all the way through Europe for six months. And uh, I've got drawings in here. I've got, like, I, I put in, like, you know, this is in Prague, Czechoslovakia. And, you know, I started, start, like, my camera broke when I was in, I was in Turkey. And so I started drawing, right? So th this is like this Turkish man in this, in this bus stop between Greece and Turkey that I, I was sketching him because he pulled me off of the heater uh, of where, where, where I was sitting to keep warm because it was in the middle of winter in Turkey. Hmm. And uh, he's feeding me Turkish delight. And he's telling me all these things and I'm writing about what he told me. And I'm, you know, he's got, he's smoking here. He's just like this, he's this, he, and he was a police officer. <laughs> like, but anyway, like, yeah, I think journals are, are incredibly important. Really, really powerful. How often tool do to you have. go back and flip through them? Um, honestly, I probably like to do it more than I have, uh, mm. but I have looked through them many times. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes I, it just kind of, pulls my brain back into fullness it kind of keeps me a little bit more whole because sometimes i get so caught up in like oh well just i'm joss who i am in these last two weeks that's all i am you know like, like yeah. it's so easy to get so hyper focused and and, and not step back and feel and see the big picture of the wholeness of who we are um so i don't know i, I brought these journals along to her for a conversation to to reference because yeah, I love, it. I love it. I, 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 yeah, you you had talked about your journals before, but I had never seen them, and I certainly had never seen your your sketches of Turkish policemen before. But that's <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> you're, just, you're just a modern day Renaissance man. You've got all of this, oh all of these journals and sketches and photos and everything else. I think that's amazing. Yeah, that was. Oh, I, oh there was one. Okay, let me say this one thing. Okay, yeah, so yeah. we're on this bus, and it was eighteen hours of a bus ride going to Turkey, and then we're going to Gourmet in the center of Turkey. This place called Gourmet. It has, it's a place where these two volcanoes had erupted back in second century, and these volcanoes had put the, all the ash on the ground, and um, they had formed what's called these fairy chimney castles. And so, as you look into the valley of of Gourmet, I don't know if you've seen this or been there, but it looks like giant asparagus everywhere like but but they have a rock on top hmm. and so they're like like oftentimes they're like three or four stories tall these pieces these big rock configurations just literally thousands of them um but anyway what I, the reason i'm telling you this is, is because i was on this bus and my hair is stuck against the window because i'd been waiting for them to to change to change the 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 chains on the car on, on the on the bus we we're stuck in the snow mm -hmm. and the bus driver's out there changing the 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 chains on the on the tires and my hair froze against the window because i was waiting there and i remember like pulling my hair off the window because it was frozen right and this woman to my left she's this muslim woman she comes up to me you know and she has you can see like three children behind her Mm. And she she kind of unveils this this thing that she's holding, and she unveils this piece of of bread, and 
water and an egg. And she looks at me and she gave it right to me. And I, I like, I would just, I will never forget that moment because it was such like, here she has children and she's giving a stranger food. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, that was, that was extremely powerful. Like, wow. Like, Anyway, that was, yeah, I brought Turkey into the situation. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you've been on so many, you've been on so many wild journeys. I feel like every, every time we talk, it's like, how many lives have you lived in one life? You know, yeah. So many places and so many different things. Um, what, what I, uh, brought you into communication in, in college? Uh, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I think I'm dyslexic and I think they, that can be a good thing too. Um, but I didn't know, or maybe, you know, how they talk about ADHD or ADD or in today's world, but I didn't, I didn't know any of that back then when I was a younger kid. And, and I was, um, I think I had a learning disabled, this, uh, learning disability and, I'd struggle. I, I struggled all the way. I barely got into college. I was more of a. I was more into sports. I was an. I was a gymnast. I was a downhill ski racer. I was a, a soccer player, and I was also on the golf team. I was like mm. really, really deep into 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 sports. And uh, so when I barely got into college, um, I I got on probation because I was partying. <laughs> And it freaked me out, right? Like my other friend was also partying and there was a moment where I had to decide like, oh my God, I cannot get kicked out of college. And so I did this huge about face, right? And I started going to parties and I would like fill up my beer with water and I'd be chugging beer with, with guys and like, yeah, man, yeah. And I'd be drinking water all the time during the parties and just made a comedy out of the whole thing. They didn't know, they never knew. Yeah. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because I, I, I ran into some friends at the University of Oregon that were kind of like the Dead Poet Society. And all of them were studying this topic called rhetoric. And I fell into that because communication is a way, is how I learn. If I can speak it, if I can think it, and I can act. And those three things alone are huge, right? So the, the, the clearer you speak, the clearer you write, the better you think the better decisions you make, the better actions you have in your life, which develops your character and your destiny. Right. So, um, I ran into those, these, I started, I, I was kind of bored out of my mind in some of the other college classes until I ran into these, these classes that were just so engaging. It freaked me out because they were inviting us to stand up in front of, in front of everybody and talk, not only talk, but say something compelling in an argumentative persuasive way with humanity you know, with, with sound reason supported with evidence and examples, you know, and, and it was so, so powerful to do that. And so I just became, I fell in love with it and I would go to the, to the office hours in my, with my professors and one of one professor I had, he had his office hours at 4am in the morning. I remember him saying, he's like, so anybody interested in my office hours, they are at four and he paused a.m. And everybody's like, whoa, you know, like, so of course I get up in the morning and I rock all the way across campus to go meet with this guy who's been teaching for 42 years in his office in the, in the honors college up in this highest little perch spot in this, in this old, old building at the university where we're having these conversations in the morning with him. 
where where I can see behind him, he's got pictures of Michelangelo's paintings with the with God touching Adam, and it, it says something like, um, um, "Though uh, those who f- those, uh, you you will fail to notice what one is not prepared to see." You know, like whoa. You fail to notice what you're not prepared to see. And I'm like, oh, wow, what does that mean? And so then the conversation would go on and on about all that kind of stuff. But I fell in love with the art of communication because it was my way, that vehicle of learning and my, my way of connecting with other people. And, and that's how I actually evolved into actually after college becoming a communication consultant for nine years. And that's where I met another mentor of mine. Um, his name was Randy Harrington. He was the debate coach at the University of Oregon. And he branched away from the university and started a consulting firm and I joined him. Hmm. So I was a communication consultant for nine years, uh, teaching, uh, doing teamwork training and technology with him traveling around the U.S. all over the place. Uh, that was before I was, a, 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 I was, I became a photographer. So that was kind of a roundabout answer to your question no, of how I started I, communication. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a great answer. I feel like I feel like so many we were we were briefly talking about this before we started recording about, you know, one of the the reasons behind me doing this podcast is like I never grew up knowing what I wanted to be when I grew up. You know, like I was not a kid that had a, car- a career path a- ahead of me. And, and when it time- came time for me to go to post-secondary, I didn't know what I was going to do. I wanted to go to art school. My dad wanted me to be an engineer. And I'm like, oh, I'll just go into engineering, whatever. He says that makes more money. Um, also ended up a photographer for a while. <laughs> but it's like this this concept of, I think more people than not don't have clear paths in front of them. We We sort of like, let the winds guide us and so i kind of had a hunch <laughs> that that communication was something that you had a passion for but maybe and you could tell me where i'm wrong here but like you didn't have a, a clear outcome of what that was like did you go into communication thinking i'm going to go into you know this this sort of like corporate training position afterwards or did you just get into it because of the love of communication the love of speaking Hundred percent. I I had no clue as to what I was going to do. Yeah. All I knew is is that I really was enamored with this to the point where I would actually, you know, in high and when I was in college, I was, I was, you know, I felt like first of all I had a learning disability, so I I my I upped my level of discipline. Hmm. I remember checking out, buying all the books the year before heading into some of the other more intense uh, classes, and I'm reading all the books over the summertime, so that I knew I could then at least start. A little bit ahead of the game, um, going into the into that education, um, but I did not have a, a path in mind at all. I remember my I remember my grandpa going, "What are you going to do with rhetoric?" You know, like, and, and that was a huge discussion in some of our classes. Like I remember one of the debate coach of the University of Oregon. He was like walking into the audience with his hands like this. He goes, "So when you go home over Christmas time." And your parents ask you, what does rhetoric mean and why are you studying it and what are you going to do with your life with this? Let's just talk about this, you know? <laughs> and and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, of course, he went into all these definitions of rhetoric, which, which I can still define and recite right now if I wanted. But um, I just felt I just followed my passion, you know, and and, and then 
I knew that, you know, I ended up training all the software when I was right out of college. So I, like the Microsoft Office suite was just being launched to the world then. Nobody knew what a motherboard was. Nobody, I would, I would totally tear apart a computer and show them all the components and totally demystify what a computer was to people. And because all these people in corporate America were just freaked out about like how to use software and all these skills and everything. And, and I, I could, I knew how to teach or I knew how to articulate things. So it was just a matter of me learning it. And then I was like in front of all these people teaching and then I was growing as a person. So I was like more enamored by the fact that I was growing and learning mm-hmm. by teaching. Um, and I was paid. Okay. Yeah. Where, where um, did the technology knowledge come from? Where were you, were you already a, a tech geek or did that come with the job? It came with the job. Yeah. yeah. I was, oh, I, I, mean, I had a Magnavox video writer when I was in college, you know, the orange black screen. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I, so I could type pretty good. And I was good on, I was good on a word, a word. Uh, uh, yeah. I was good with, with, uh, yeah, typing and, and crafting things, but nothing like with Excel or, or, you know, teaching people databases and, and PowerPoint and all that stuff. But I, I mastered the whole Microsoft office suite. And I could, I could still recite all the keystrokes in any of those programs because I taught it. Um, but um, yeah, so learning, and it was all new then, right? It's just like a fire hose of information coming at us. So mm-hmm. I, I would stay up till like sometimes one and then one of the nights studying all this stuff so I could teach the next level, the next day to this group of people that from something that I, that I just learned that night, right? So uh, How did that, that, was, converse- that was like a boot camp for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How did that conversation with your grandfather go when, when he asked you, what are you going to do with rhetoric? Because I feel like, I feel like that is a quintessential at some point in time, no matter what you study in school, somebody in your life or in your family is going to be like, yeah, but what are you going to do with that? So how did you respond? Well, um, I responded by saying, I want to be able to critically think and I want to be able to express myself in powerful ways. And if I can do that, I can do anything. You know, so, you know, it's not just a matter of absorbing information, but it's how you assimilate the information, how you organize the information, how you, you know, dissect the information and then distill it into meaningful conclusions or actions um, that, that uh, it's a, it's a, it was a vehicle for my life. Right. So, I mean, Aristotle, no, no. Yeah. Aristotle defines rhetoric as the faculty of discovering all the available means of persuasion in a given instance. Like, whoa, okay. <laughs> or Cicero says, you know, it's linking eloquence with wisdom. Or, uh, you know, the, the, there's, there's just so many definitions of it, but a lot of people misuse the term rhetoric in today's term, like the, in vernacular. They, they like to say, oh, well, it's just so-and-so's rhetoric. But, but really, like, they, they didn't study the whole rhetorical tradition, and they don't know what they're really, they don't know what they're referring to. It's just a negative term out in today's vernacular. But mm-hmm. To me, it's extremely powerful. Uh, and if you look back into the, the classics of like Cicero, uh, Plato, Quintilian, Socrates, you know, all those, those famous red tours of back then, they were all about dialogue. They were about what's called dialectic, the discovery of truth together with the use of rhetoric between two people who have, who come to the table with love and who are speaking honestly, who are see all sides of the argument 
and who continue to speak and admit ignorance. And when you have those four things, you have a very powerful dialogue. That's the root of, of dialectic. When, two, when people follow that, they're entering into more of a loving debate about sifting out the truth to build mm. each other up, as opposed to like this war of who's better because of your ego. Nobody knows everything. I'm, I'm, the fact that I'm looking this way means I'm not looking that way. Same with you, right? So yeah. um, let's learn together and talk about this together to grow and, and become better together. And yeah, I, I love being the dumbest guy in the room. That's it's always my favorite thing when I can I can talk to people who who are expert. Like my my only uh, knowledge on rhetoric comes from Robert Persig's book Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance because that's oh, what yeah. he, that's what he was a professor of in the book. Like the main character <laughs> was, totally. was a rhetoric professor, and I remember reading that book um and just being like i have i have no idea and i'm so excited that i have no idea and and this concept of you know discovering the truth together uh b- before before reading that book and before coming upon you know that sort of concept of rhetoric to me debate was always about winning right it was always about right. like my my truth is greater than your truth as opposed to you know kind of like what you were saying about uh, when you have good dialogue, there's a third, this third entity that that joins the conversation. I feel uh-huh. like with debate or with rhetoric, it's the same thing. It's like there is no, this person is right and this person is wrong. It's it's like coming to this new understanding, uh, and and I feel like a lot of people could could do well with like a, a that that type of conceptual understanding of of conversation and of dialogue, and 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 it's not about winning. It's about everybody coming out richer exactly yeah exactly we can both we can all win together yeah yeah and i, I remember i feel like that's been in, lost a, a lot i think in in bali i think yeah tree and i had done a presentation there where we were talking about that there's in every conversation there's six conversations right there's you then there's me then there's my perception of you then there's your perception of me and then there's my perception of your perception of me. And then there's my perception of your perception of you. <laughs> Makes your head spin, right? But, the, you know, the shadows of communication, right, are always around us. And, and uh, you know, it, I think it takes a discerning, thoughtful, sensitive um, presence to, to be able to have that form of connection between us. And, you know, I don't, I don't claim to have, like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a, like a, a info guy where I, I collect tons of facts in my head. I'm a little bit more conceptual and more philosophical in my, so often I, at times I end up actually asking tons of questions and then mm. trying to unpack information out of people. And occasionally I write them down in my journal so that I can then quote them back to other people. <laughs> yeah. If, 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 if you, you know, we're sat sat in front of a, a you know you kind of have an audience here hopefully. Uh, what, what would you say to somebody who who wants to improve their skills of rhetoric, improve their skills of dialogue and communication, and and step into that sort of dance that that that, that beautiful creation that that dialogue can be? Are are there some some tips or tricks or, or things that people can sort of like hold as as they move forward with that? Oh, there's so much. It's like, oh, God, it's just, um, I mean, I, I studied all the classics, you know, like I, I studied, um, 
there's this book called the, the traditions of rhetoric and i had to memorize all of the, the arms of rhetoric as it broke down you know from logic of argument logos pathos and uh, eros and i had to like completely be able to recite this whole page 69 in front of a hundred students at the time, if ever I was called upon to do it. And, uh, you know, it's, maybe it sounds a little like completely tedious and everything, but, uh, it really helped me understand the difference between logic and passion. For example, like a lot of people are super emotional about something pathos and, um, as opposed to logos, which is the logical, you know, reasoning of a B and C and, you know, deducting uh, uh conclusions from from evidence right so um i guess if you're are you asking me if i if i if i would recommend like a student going into college what what they would how they would no, just just, just like joe joe off the street like if you were sitting sitting across from somebody in a coffee shop and they said joss i'm terrible at communication i'm terrible at dialogue are are, are, are there I don't mean to buzzfeed your entire college education, but like, is there like a top five right. with sort of things that people can, can keep in mind or practices that they can do to lead to better communication lead to the concept of, of coming to a collective truth or, or anything like that? Yeah, I would be, I would, um, I would encourage them to just like, you know, just get a hold of any book of communication they can and just start absorbing that and practicing it themselves. I think the art of practicing is like, is, is where all the learning happens. Right. So for example, um, I had that one professor I was talking about who I would go visit at 4am in the morning. He was saying, uh, in listening, you start off with a temporary abdication of power. Mm. And I thought that was an interesting way to say it. And maybe it even sounds like it might sound overly scholarly. But if you think about that for a second, a temporary abdication of power, in other words, a temporary surrender of your own power to completely open up yourself to take in what is being said to you without any filter. And that's the first thing, right? And then the second thing would be um, to respond with an immediacy. Um, that timing of communication is extremely powerful. The time, the timing of your response back. And then the third thing would be um, what's called not, not feedback, but feed forward. How can I add to what you just said to me? And that, so that we're building upon the information that we're talking about learning together. That's like the rock of communication right there, like a dialogue, right? So that was like a small example of, of one of the, one of the things that I oftentimes carry around with me in my head, it's like, I've got to remind myself, okay, am I, am I doing a temporary abdication of power right now? <laughs> like, uh, so that I can, you know, absorb, you know, cause so in, in today's world, it's so easy to just like gloss over and just multitask and just skip over everything. And, um, and uh, so nuggets like that, like if you can learn some, the principles of communication, the principles of debate, just like right there alone, that, that phrase right there, the principles of debate, right? Um, are, are, can teach you so much. Like, here's another one, like um, the Socratic method. So you would always start off by defining the terms. Like, okay, if we're talking about some, some issue, like, well, let's, let's define this issue or let's define this topic. And we have an agreement around the definition of that term. Okay, so then the second thing would be to 
find examples that test the definition of, of what we agreed upon to see if that definition really holds, holds its truths. And then if it's true, if it turns to be true, then we would, or if it, if it kind of uh, disproves our definition, then the third thing we would do is redefine the definition of what we're talking about. Hmm. So like that right there is kind of like this principle of, of debate um, that you would follow to, to kind of work through issues or tension between people. Like, let's just start off like, Hey, every, Hey, you know, you have a, a, a dispute with your spouse. Like, well, let's just, de- let's define, you know, why we're in, why, why we're upset. You go and I'll listen. Right. Okay. So let me, and then let me say that, let me, let me say back why you're upset. So, so then I would repeat back to my spouse why you're upset. So if, did I hear that right? Okay. So, and then if I didn't, she would tell me uh, a more refined definition of maybe why she was upset, right? So mm-hmm. starting off with definition alone, it was called definire, which was one of the canons of rhetoric, is is a great place to start, right? So like if I like just shared if I shared that with example maybe with a with somebody, uh, it might spark an interest in the principles of communication and how that might fit into their own lives. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. anyway, I could talk. This is this is fascinating. About these <laughs> it, it 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 ties like it ties into so so much. I, I have a lot of conversations with people about conversation because, um, you know, in in my my coaching business, working with um, you know, creative business owners, they have problems with clients and things like that. And it's something that I often say is like, you know, the myth of communication is assuming that it's happened. Because you haven't set those terms, you know, you haven't set what are we actually talking about? Uh, and I, I was speaking with a friend a couple of days ago, and I said, you know, I have this other friend who's got this problem, and that they're sort of dumping to me, and I, I don't know what to do about it. And I said to them, well, define the conversation first. And I'm like, what do you mean? I said, well, ask them, do you want me to be your best friend right now and just listen to you? unload this? Do you just need a listening ear? Or do you want my advice? Because if you just make an assumption one way or the other, you might not be giving them what they want. And so define the terms of the conversation and you will have better conversation. And that's something that I've done for years. You know, I'll go out for beer with a friend and they'll be like, oh, I have this problem with my business or I have this problem here. And I'm like, okay, do you want coach hat or do you want friend hat? Like, wh- what are you looking for right now? Because yeah. I don't want to just assume, you know, you want me to solve your problem or, or you want me to work through this with you because I had done that in the past and that doesn't go well. They're like, well, I'm not actually asking for your advice. It's like, oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> okay. And so it's like right. these little, these little, you know, tricks about being relational. And, you, you know, you mentioned this with your spouse and Abby and I are, are are constantly working on our relationship, and and this is something that both our our um, relationship therapist and also this course that we had taken um, on being relational in your relationship is all about uh, that that mirroring back. You said, you know, what I'm hearing from you is this, is that right? The power in that is huge, because if it is right, then they're like, yes. And now I feel heard and it sort of like diffuses a little bit of that anger. And if it's no, okay, this is the definition. We're going to redefine it. And then it just allows that, that moving forward. And I think that some people are afraid of maybe um, creating this structure. You know, they're like, oh, I don't, I don't want to create the structure. Then we're not having communication. And I'm like, right, actually, you'd be communicating this, this, better. Right. I don't want to follow this equation. It feels too too contrived or forced yeah. or 
yeah, surgical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like one of the things that, that Abby and I do, um, we do this thing called dyads and I can't remember where she, she found this, but it's this, it's an active listening exercise and it has been one of the greatest things for my brain. I, I do have ADHD and, and I get distracted a lot, but when we do this, the whole concept is, you know, you ask, I'll I'll ask Abby, Hey, how are you feeling? And then I can't say anything else until she's done. And she just says, however she's feeling. And then she asks me that question. And then I say, and then I ask her the same question back. And we just go back and forth with that same question going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until there's nothing left. And then we move on to whatever comes next. But it's like, this isn't a place where I'm here to solve your problems. Or this isn't a place where, you know, if you're upset with me, I don't get to be defensive or anything else in this situation. This is just a space where you can unburden yourself in this structure. And without that structure, like we used to try to do this back in the day with without this dyad structure and it would just turn into a fight. <laughs> you know, somebody would say, right. oh, I'm feeling this way. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are you feeling that way? But in the structure of these dyads, it's just like by the time you're done, the problem's not a problem anymore because you've defined the terms of the communication. It's interesting you're saying that because it, it reminded me of, of this other coach I had. His name was Randy. He was <clears throat> one of the mentors I had. Um, he was, he's the kind of guy that could learn, like learn about the whole Microsoft culture and then go there within a week and then stand up and lead them mm-hmm. and then, and then make them all laugh and cry at the same time. Uh, anyway, he, he taught me this thing called the spiral of reciprocating perspectives. Mm. And it's when, when, when I start making up what's going on with you and you start making up what's going on with me and we go in this downward spiral. And when that starts to happen, we need to stop and do what exactly what you said. We need to unpack it until these, these assumptions kind of dissolve. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, and I it, think important, most importantly is to have a sense of humor about it. Oh, if all of us could just have a mindset and I am equally as guilty as anybody else to have the mindset of comedy, comedy is so powerful and life is full of chaos and stress and, you know, tragic, devastating things all the time. And if not, not that you won't take those things seriously, but, but some of the minor hiccups and tensions I think would be better off approached with comedy. Yeah. Why shouldn't we? Like, yeah, being able to blind laugh man. about we're something. All, we're all blind people running around this world, right? <laughs> we're blind and deaf trying to communicate our way through out of out of these these these, these storms. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like the moment I realized I was an adult was the moment that I realized that no other adults have any idea what they're doing, and we're all just kind of making it up as we go along. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, okay, now now I understand the world. <laughs> now, and it's like, you have to laugh at it at that point in time. It's just like, you know, we're all just figuring it out. No one has any idea. We're all making it up, and no one can know everything. And, you know, perspective is everything. My perspective is so different than yours. And, and so on. it's like, once I realized that I'm like, Oh, this is hilarious. Like now it's like, don't, you know, there's that old phrase, like, don't take life too seriously. Nobody gets out alive kind of thing, you know? And so it's just like, yeah, you have to, the comedy aspect is, is, is really important. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it, I mean, even with your own dialogue, your own soliloquy, right? It should be a comedy. My mom, my mom's interesting. I just spent two months with my mom here. She visited for two months and she's starting to share space 
with my sister who lives in, in Chicago. Uh, she lives with her and then she comes and visit. She's been visiting us, spending like, these bigger chunks of time. Because um, we realized that when she was alone in her apartment, we weren't, we, these little visits weren't, weren't really in depth. But mm. um, um, yeah, so I've had these long conversations with her recently. And, and uh, she was just reminding me of, of so much about uh, just humility and and comedy and and the way she approaches things like that she's uh, the thing i wanted to share with you is that she told me just yesterday she goes yeah i'll be in my study and i'll just be laughing to myself and i'm like wow that's really cool like you're laughing with yourself in your own dialogue i think that's a sign of probably good mental health right (laughs) if you're you know if you're you're constantly amusing you it's just yourself right like because I'd oftentimes ask her, like, how are you doing during COVID, you know? And, and like, you're alone. You live alone, you know? Like, how is that? And she goes, oh, I'm, I amuse myself all the time. I'm laughing at, at myself all the time. Like, I, I'm chuckling out loud. And I'm like, wow, I want to be like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I feel like that's, like, th- that's the goal, right? When, you're, when your inner dialogue, when your self-talk is, is light and jovial, you know? Right. On that point, what is what is your self talk like? You're you're such a good uh, communicator. How do you communicate with yourself? What does that look like for you? Oh, it goes phases for sure. <laughs> um, I think it used to be a lot better than it is now. Actually, to tell you the truth, um, mm. I used to I used to travel a lot on my own. And I would be journaling and adventuring all the time. And I would go to Europe every year. I've probably been to Europe over maybe 25, 28 times, I think. Um, But I used to go over there for like a couple months and just wander, you know. And I would develop this dialogue with myself. You know, here I am in foreign countries and trying my best to learn some of the language. And um, so journaling was a huge part of that dialogue right and that would help clarify so much in me Mm. through that journaling process um and sometimes i i like to just um i like to like like take in quotes and i memorize quotes and then i use them as kind of a a building block of thoughts uh, that i sometimes meditate on sometimes i like to like memorize a whole passage and it becomes like this whispering friend in my head um that I can reference to every once in a while. I, I you know, once again, I think I, I, I had this learning disability when I was younger. And so I kind of took on this passion of memorizing larger pieces. All my friends in college, they would be, they could read a, a book, textbook and learn all this stuff. And then like, just like perfectly regurgitated or, or answer all the perfect questions in these multiple question, advanced question, you know, exams that they were taking. And I would always struggle with that. So I was like, damn it. Well, if they can do that, I'm going to do this. And so I would memorize large like sections that I thought were like super critical things to know. And then I, and I wouldn't know the rest. So I, I have big gaps of knowledge, <laughs> I have big blind spots, but at least I have these, these chunks that are really, you know, for my dad's tuning fork that he gave me, it's like, okay, I got that tuning fork. That's super important information. And I'm going to totally lodge this into my permanent uh, long-term memory. So, hmm. so for example, like I, I fell in love with this, this, uh, this poet named David White. He lives up in Canada. I know. I'm sorry. Not in Canada. In, in Seattle. But he's Welch. He has this wonderful Welch voice. And uh, 
so I studied I started studying and memorizing some of his poems because he had this passion to to take these poems the be, like really super select poems and and take them and recite them back to audiences and then unpack the story the, the meaning behind all these poems with repetition and then unpack the meaning of it. it was super powerful so i i started i just kind of fell in love with that and so i did a little bit of that myself and then so i've got these poems and and quotes all lingering on my head and so i have dialogues with those if that makes sense i, I don't know if that's weird but um it it works for me and and uh, I don't know. Would you like to hear one? I think Absolutely. I did one. Actually, I think I did you one. Did, you did. This is actually a I skill of yours that a, I always thought was impressive. Your <laughs> ability to recite at, poetry at the uh, at the training when you came when we did the yeah. evolve class. Yeah. So this one is called um, um, this one is about grief. It's called grief. Make it kind of heavier, but so those who will not slip beneath a still surface on the well of grief, turning down to the place that we cannot breathe, will never know the source from which we drink its secret waters cold and clear, nor find in the darkness glimmering the small round coins thrown by those who wished for something else. Wow. What does so that mean to you? Let me, let me just say that real quick again. Those yeah, yeah. who will not slip beneath the still surface on the well of grief, turning down to the place that we cannot breathe, will never know the source from which we drink its secret waters, cold and clear, nor find in the darkness, glimmering the small round coins thrown by those who wished for something else. And for me, that poem talks about faith talks about hope it talks about what you've been so gracious in sharing with me and that, that you're the life coach of, of finding the gold through the darkness through the grief through the surface through the dark you know going diving deep into the, the murky waters and the cold waters where, where the, the small round coins glimmering by that were thrown by somebody else. Like that gold is waiting for people and having a poem like that in my head just, just gives me strength, you know? And so I'll have a dialogue with myself sometimes about that. Like so I lodged it in my head because, you know, sometimes I, I have the doubt or I have fear or I, I run up against obstacles and I just, I, I got to step away and just kind of, remind myself of what I know are the people that I've been lucky to experience and, and allow those voices to speak to me, which gives me strength. Mm. Uh, and it's all about community, right? And, and being able to pull from whoever it is. Maybe it's Rilke. I, I fell in love with Rilke too, but, um, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll visualize going back to Bali and all the conversations that all of us had there, you know, Lanny sitting there, you know, beginning the whole reunion by, by, by that one long passage that he shared with everybody. So beautiful, powerful. Like, you know, how lucky are we? Right. Mm. <laughs> right. So, so I guess some of the dialogues I have with myself, um, when I have, when I take the time, um, pull from 
some sources that I've lodged in there. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I want to, <laughs> that's grief, right? Let's talk yeah, about grief. I mean, <laughs> we have grief about so many things, right? Uh, we, we were talking earlier about, um, before we started recording about how I had this grief around my projects in my life. I, I wouldn't start new things if I couldn't already see the outcome of them doing it for the sake of doing it wasn't enough. You know, you had mentioned Liz Gilbert and big magic and the, the concept of like, just the purpose of it is the purpose of it. It doesn't have to be bigger than that. And, and I had grief over that for years and, and the release of that when I decided to finally start this project was, was huge. You know, it's not the grief of a, of a loved one passing or, or, or something like that, but it was the grief of this thing that I never thought I was going to be able to have. You know, it, was, it, was, it hadn't even existed and I was already grieving it. And so releasing mm. that, I think, is, is you know, we, everybody experiences is, is, this, like, you know, we talk about, you know, microaggressions and, and micro emotions. Like, I feel like we have micro grief and, and stuff like that all the time of FOMO is, is grief. You know, the fear of missing right. out, grieving that you don't get to go and have an experience. Uh, you know, you, you talk about missing solo travel. That is a grief in and of itself. Yeah, then somebody introduced me the the grief of of um, the opposite of that, not the fear of missing out, but the the fear of actually being involved. <laughs> because sometimes that can be uh, very very torturous in in and of itself too, like overstimulation, too much socializing, too many people, too much energy, and like you know, to be able to come back to yourself and have alone time, you know. Mm. the fear of missing out on your on your own alone time too right <laughs> yeah. yeah right yeah i think abby abby would have a lot to say about that yeah abby abby, uh, abby has the joy of missing out <laughs> that's what i'm she, okay that, i yeah. think that's what i was trying to say yeah, the yeah, joy of yeah. Missing out. she she has uh she's very particular about about what she does and, and what she she wants although lately she's she wants to drink from a fire hose she wants she wants more socialization more connection mm. she's really working mm. on, on building a community and and having that because you know over covid and, and everything she she lost touch with with all of that um, it takes work it's like you know it's it's like it's like you know you got to eat every day you got to work out every day you got to commit you got to like nurture your community every day because it's always yeah. shape-shifting right in front of you it's just yeah 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 so you're doing it. You're doing it right here with I'm doing. Just yeah, this, always, this is this is you're, my community. You're committing. You're committing to a thousand interviews. Is that right? A hundred. I feel like a hundred. Like wow, a thousand. I mean, like, that's a little over two years. You know, if I if I do if I do release one a week, it's it's two years of conversation. Okay. And I feel like my feeling is is once I have that momentum, I'm not going to want to stop. You know, uh, but I I didn't want it to be a small number. Um, and I was I'm. I'm a, quintessential researcher and so reading about podcasts you know it's, it's some huge number uh, the numbers are going to be slightly incorrect but i think it's something like 90 percent or 95 percent or something of podcasts don't make it past three episodes and then 90 percent of those that do don't make it past 20 episodes and so it became this challenge for myself to be, well, I'm going to do at least 100. If I can do 100, then I will feel like if I have 100 interesting conversations with people, if nothing else comes from it than that, I will be richer for it. And so that was that was my intention uh, be, behind doing this. Um, Tiny steps. <laughs> I mean, it's a big right? step. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but yeah, but, but yeah, but. One, yeah. one, 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 yeah, one step at a time. Yeah, small, small, simple steps. You know, uh, mm -hmm. my, my one of my mentors, 
she talked about turtle steps, you know, this concept of like, if you have a goal and it feels too big, you have to break it down into smaller and smaller and smaller steps. And she, she shares this anecdote about, you know, she knew she had to go to the gym and start working out because she was getting older, but going to the gym just felt, it felt too big. So for the first week, all she did was drive to the gym and sit in her car for an hour and then drive home. And the second week, she would put on her workout clothes and sit in the car for an hour. Third week, she would go and sit in the gym. And then it was finally four weeks in when she actually picked one machine and started exercising. But that's what that's what it took for her to build that momentum and, and make those choices in order to do these types of things. And and so like for me, I'm like, okay. I don't, it doesn't have to be anything but conversations. It was very easy for me to just set up a Calendly and just start reaching out to people and, and make these conversations. And so I want to, I want to challenge you because you said something earlier. I'm going to coach you here for a second, Joss, because <laughs> sometimes I can't turn it Please. off. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you, you had mentioned that, you know, in the past when you traveled, you know, you would journal and you would, you would work out your inner dialogue and you would work out your thoughts in that way. And I think travel makes travel, travel makes us richer selves because it strips away the distraction, right? Like when we're traveling, we don't have to worry about, you know, did I leave the heat on or are my bills paid? Or it's like, I have to feed myself and I have to experience that's, that's about it. So I would love for you to, to bring that journaling practice back into your life on a day-to-day basis and start Mm. having that dialogue with yourself again, because Mm. I mean, you showed me these, these journals that are on your desk from your travels. And I mean, this is obviously like a rich part of, of your journey here on, on this planet. And I think, I think the Mm. world will be richer for it. Uh, if, if you, Mm. uh, if you do that. I accept that challenge. <laughs> I've, uh, you know, the thing is, is that here's my newest journal, um, but it's, you know, it's just small pieces, right? So, mm. um, but it's not not full like full entries. I'm just like writing down like quotes or things, um, but at least you know, at least there's something, right? Yeah, there, there's something there. But I think you know, I think you know having a, one of the books that I love reading over code was the miracle morning and uh, getting up in the morning and practicing those six habits to, to start your day, even if it was only a minute for each one of them, six in, within six minutes and practicing six extremely powerful things. What are the six things? Um, well, there's an acronym for it. It's, it's called savers. So the first S is sitting in silence just listening, right? Temporary abdication of power, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, then A was stating your affirmations, you know, and and not and not just saying um, it's a, they, they have to be measurable affirmations, you know. Um, I would like to, you know, I, I, today I'm going to post my workshop um, that will be launched by you know December for a winter wedding workshop on the top of Mount Hood at Silcox Hut, and I will do that uh, for you know for the next ten weeks. 
<laughs> like something specific, right? Mm-hmm. So affirmation. So so so, so uh, silence, then affirmation, then V was visualization to actually visualize those affirmations coming to life in you. Mm. So really seeing it, right? So that's kind of going back to my days of pre-visualizing the golf shot, where I would get up and I would swing the club, visualize the ball going on to the right next to the pin and visualizing that whole thing and then coming up and actually that visualization would come into reality. So that visualization is super powerful. Um, E was for exercise. So he would, even if it was only a minute, right, just do jumping jacks for a whole minute get your body moving right so that was really powerful and then uh r was for reading so yeah reading something uh maybe i don't know for uh, for me i like to i like to read at least maybe 15 minutes something right and then the the last s was called scribe which is what you're hitting at and they used the word scribe instead of writing because it was the it per, it fit into the the acronym so to 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 journal right yeah so those six things I said six of them right yep so silence ex, uh, silence affirmations visualization exercise uh, reading and and writing and if you could spend like imagine you could spend you know let's say 15 minutes on each of those, or maybe the exercise part is a half an hour, man, you got a miracle morning just launching in front of you to start your day and like getting up at five o'clock in the morning, spending like an hour. It's totally your time to develop yourself, you know, working on yourself to become the best version of yourself. Yeah. That was that, but what that was what that book really was. It was about that practice. And so, um, I, I was uh, weak in the in the writing aspect, so thank you for encouraging that. Yeah. I'll, I'll take that on. Keep me accountable for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I will. I will. Um, as a friend and a coach. As a friend, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, this is something that I've been looking at and working on with myself. You know, I, I, for so long, I was so bad. Like, I'd wake up in the morning, just grab my phone right away, and then it was gone. You know, and so now I keep my phone on the other side of the room and I wake up and like, I want to, I want to live before I consume, you know, and maybe not necessarily mm. create before I consume, you know, maybe if I do journal or morning, do morning pages or something like that, but just separating myself from that immediate consumption of, of the feed, you know, what, whatever it is. And, and, uh, I've noticed a, a direct correlation on on how my self talk has gotten better, and you know, just like everything has improved. Just this one little thing: I eat better, I'm sleeping better, I feel better, I think better, just by separating, just having that time in the morning that is just to be. You know, whatever I choose to do with that, and maybe I'll add practices. You'll never get me in a cold plunge, but you know, maybe I'll add other practices or, or, or things like that in in the morning. Uh, to, to do that and uh, not, you know, not with any intention of hustle or grind or anything else like that, uh, but just yeah, with yeah, that yeah. intention of, of improvement and, and for, for whatever outcome, you know, cause you know, you know, anybody who spent any more than eight minutes with me knows that I'm, I'm anti hustle culture. I'm, I'm not going to be the one here saying you got to rise and grind, you know, but like rise and be right. and, and rise connect and with be. yourself. Yeah. I remember when I was with Erica Mann um, in Bali, when we were going around the circle, 
when we were all getting to know each other and they had all these questions that they were answering and we were all like shifting in different kind of ratcheting turns, learning more about each other. When it came to her, I'm like, Oh, Erica. <laughs> and uh, I think I remember t- telling her something like something that somebody else, another mentor taught me. And I said, I think we have it all, we have it all backwards. We think we have to do then we can have, and then we can finally be, mm. as opposed to being first. Then you have everything you need, and then you just do. Yeah, and I think that's a good approach to remind myself, like you know, especially like just even like taking a breath, you know, and just you know, centering ourselves um, throughout the day is a great practice. You know, being it's like. Who knows when, you know, your last day will be also, right? So, yeah. Well, and, and speaking yeah. of doing and, and creating before you consume and, and all the rest of that, I'm, I'm curious how, because I, I don't actually know this, how you and, and uh, Tree, your wife, for those of you who don't know Joss who are listening, uh, his wife, Tree, how, how did you two end up, you know, shifting from corporate America and, and becoming photographers and wedding photographers and international destination wedding photographers and, and, and all of that. What was, what was that journey like? Did you, did you grow up with a camera in your hand? Did you have other photographers in your family or was this just another thing that you kind of fell into? Well, there was an uncle that I had, uh, his name was uncle Harold and, uh, he, his wife was a writer. She was a journalist and this is back in the, in the 1930s. Yeah, he was an older uncle, of course. (laughs) A grandpa uncle of sorts. Um, They they had a dynamic duo there that was super powerful. You know, they would be traveling. They would be be flown over to Europe to go interview certain people, and he would be photographing them, and she'd be writing the whole thing about the whole thing. That was was really inspiring to see. And I remember my Aunt Lily, who at the time, she was in her 90s, you know, and she would reach underneath the table to me when I was like 10, you know, or maybe, no, probably like seven or eight. And she would, uh, she would hold my hand and look at me right in the eyes. And she goes, you know that you're my favorite. And I'm like, oh, wow. Oh, really? Like me? Why me? You know, like, and then she would go, you have to remember who you are. You have to remember who you came from. You are a Madsen. That's what she would tell me. And I'm like, Okay. And what she was referring to is, is that these teachers, her, her grandparents were teachers in Denmark. And, oh, I, did, I lost you there. Are you still there? No, I'm still here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, your, your visual went away, but I guess what I'm saying is that she like kind of inspired me at a young age to, to go after stories mm. and, um, she, they were they were a great example, and the reason I'm bringing them up is because I just recently saw these old black and white photos of them together, and it just kind of confirmed to me again. But and I also have my uncle Harold's camera that I that I got when I was 12, and uh, I remember the story that she had gotten the front page of the New York Times, one of her articles, and she didn't tell her husband Uncle Harold that that they got the front page and he had taken this picture that was also on the front page. And so she brought it to breakfast the morning and put it right down in front of him and smiled, looked right at him. So then the front page of the New York times, their, 
her story in his photo. That was pretty powerful. Wow. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm going way back. <laughs> but the way Tree and I, um, you know, I was a consultant out of college with this other team. Um, and I, so I brought all of my communication skills from being a consultant into the realm of, of photography. And I had been traveling and I fell in love with the romance of Europe. And so I was a super romantic at, at the time. I'm, a, I'm still romantic, but I'm a little bit more of a realist now. <laughs> but um, I think I could take those skills, those communication skills, and bring it into, into wedding photography or, or just portrait photography, for example, or whatever type of photography, because I love people. I love people. And so Tree, when I met Tree, um, I had just kind of, I was at the tail end of, of my consulting career. And I just, I had been a wedding photographer for four years before I met Tree. And I had a, I had another business partner at the time. He and I didn't have the same values. And so we went different directions, mm. but it was, it was it, right at the moment where I met tree was the moment that I was, that he was exiting my life and tree was entering it. And so when tree and I fell in love and we started to build a relationship, we went to Argentina for our fifth date for seven weeks to learn how to, to tango dance, date. <laughs> to learn how to tango dance. That was our mission. Actually, it was a seventh date for five weeks. Sorry. So we were in, we were in Buenos Aires, Argentina for five weeks with a whole intention, hundred percent focus was to learn how to tango dance. In that process, I ended up sharing the, the five, the, the new five D Mark two with her. And then I was teaching her how to, how to, how to shoot and everything. Cause I was building my new website with, with all this stuff. But that's how she uh, came into being a photographer. And I knew that she was really good because she had those people skills. She, she loved people. Like it was, it was, it was never an exaggeration that she's to see like a hundred people show up at a party for her birthday. Like that was just, I was like, okay. <laughs> um, so I, I, she didn't have any of the technical skills, but so I taught her all the tech, you know, the technical, technical skills is can always be the least important the part of photography. The people I find. skills. Yeah. 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 People skills. So, that was in 2008 and uh, that's where he, she and I became this dynamic duo. She was you know, of course assisting me, but then I was eventually putting a camera in her hand and then, and then we became two shooters and then we started incorporating uh, other, other assistants to have more of a team approach to shooting these weddings together. And then of course we built our, our commercial brand too, Wood and Smith, which is our two last names combined. Mine, mine's Smith and hers Wood. And so our wedding photography brand, Joss and Tree, is all about weddings. And then the commercial brand is Wood and Smith. Mm-hmm. So we got a commercial brand and a and a wedding photography brand that that complement each other really nicely. Was that was that your question? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and I feel like one of the things that you two excel at is, I mean, obviously your photography is phenomenal, but your ability to engage and create relationship with your clients i think is unmatched i don't think that there's anybody out there who creates the level of relationship with their clients that the two of you do was that intentional right from the beginning or was that something that evolved over the over the the growth of of your your studio um i i i 
I think I just, I, I, at the beginning, I always ended up falling in love with, with all my couples. And I got this like super emotional connection with them all the time because how can you not? <laughs> and uh, I, I think I was lucky to run into the right couples. Um, and then that would, you know, like begets like, right? So uh, the laws of attraction just started attracting more people that were kind of similar uh, in that reciprocal way. And maybe I think it showed in the photography because we always try to drive the photography from the experience. We have to, we tell the couple is that we're, we're, we're more interested in their entire experiencing and supporting and creating a, a space for your true selves to show up and have the most, the best time of your life and have the most epic experience. And that will just reflect in the photography. So right there, there's, we're setting the, the expectation for that intention. Mm. And, um, I think, you know, it wasn't as strong as it is today because today we're doing more multi-day weddings where we go on an adventure with people and we're fully committed to like a three or four day adventure with them. And so in that process, we get to know all their friends and family and we're so intimately connected with them being their photographers or or shadowing every every moment. Um, How can you not get involved in all the emotions with that, right? So that's... That's a big reward um, to us. It, it can also be, uh, you got to be careful with that too, because you have to protect your own energy to a degree because you can you can get lost and, and kind of fall out of a, a business mindset too. So you can lose a lot of time if you're not careful with that. But I always push it over the edge <laughs> and treat us too. We're both guilty, you know, just crying and hugging all of our clients all the way to the end. And even when we're delivering their albums, like yesterday, I spent two hours with this couple that I dropped an album off and, and I just, you know, reflected about their whole wedding and, and, and where they are at in life and their whole meaning of, of their relationship for two hours in their backyard <laughs> yesterday. And I'm like, trees, I come home and trees like, where have you been? I'm like, I couldn't help it. (laughs) I'm like, you would have been there right with me. It's like good that we're dividing and conquering a little bit. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you're you're essentially like embedding with these families for, for multiple days, like, do you find like, are these relationships that carry on? Well, you know, yes and no. Um, It's hard. To, to manage that many relationships over time. It just gets to be too many and you spread yourself too thin. So I, I try to like, I, I'm not, I'm not a guy, like, I, I'm not a one-liner email guy kind of guy, you know, yeah. I, I, but, but maybe I'll, I'll sit down and write, you know, a really good, long, thoughtful paragraph, at least every couple of months to a few people, you know, I can't do that with everybody. And not everybody's obviously the same. Um, but I've had, like, particularly with some of our French clients. You know, the French culture is super interesting. Because when I write to them, they will write back a whole chapter of their life to me. It's just like, wow. And it's so, you know, at first it's like, wow, I can't read this wall of text. But then you start reading it and you're like, oh, my God. Like, there's just, it just, you know this fire hose of culture just being poured into your veins, you know, it's just beautiful. Um, so at some point we kind of have to be selective about the type of people that reciprocate back to us. Um, Cause that can be, that can, you can put yourself in a straight jacket <laughs> of, un, of, of unrealistic expectations. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. 
You but, mentioned, you know, yeah. So no, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, just I just got this video message from a couple that we photographed in last year in Amafi, and they were they sent a whole like two minute video message of to us, just literally crying about how happy they were about the experience that they had with us and how thankful they were. And I was just like, you know, we're creature and are crying all over again. This is a year later. Right. Yeah. And it's so, you know, it's, it's, it can be really time consuming. You're like, you gotta be careful about your time like that. But it's at the same time, it just, it, it just gives you an extra energy that you didn't know where that came out of nowhere. Right? Yeah. So it's feeding your battery, your heart, your soul with something that's the, that you can't put a price tag on. Yeah. And I mean, you, you had mentioned earlier, sometimes it's hard to separate, you know, the, the business from that piece. But I mean, the, the point of a business is profit, right? But the profit doesn't necessarily, and this is my own opinion. Uh, I'm sure somebody out there who's, you know, an investment banker will cringe at me saying this, but the profit doesn't have to just be money. You know, we were talking about just being earlier and it's like yeah. receiving, receiving a message like that from a client a year after their wedding. Like that's gotta be just so fulfilling and so rich to receive. And I feel like there's, there's a lot of creatives out there where it's just a transaction and they never get to experience that level of, of gratitude from the work that they've created. Does that, does that fuel you entry in some way? Uh, in, yeah, into, into will, wanting to maintain these this this style of wedding photography well you know that's why we we narrow it down we're, we're shooting like 10 12 maybe 15 weddings a year mm -hmm. and you know it's we we, we have to charge more for all of that and they understand that investment because they in interesting on the front end of the whole sales process that we lead them to i, I kind of like drop in a few truths to them like hey when we shoot your wedding it's going to probably be any a commitment on our end anywhere from 100 to 120 hours and if they do the math on that and then they see the number we're charging they can like something like the analytical person quickly understands the investment of, of what they're committing to right yeah and um, so that that's that's worked pretty well for us um it's kept our lifestyle also up super high um don't don't get me wrong it definitely comes with risk right because those types of clients um don't come along every single day and they're very very unique um and the thing is like with the balance of having commercial work where you can go in and just like boom you know super linear super cut you know cut and dry which is awesome. So if you can fill in the the, the gaps with uh, that type of commercial work, but at the same time preserve these this th these really special clients that that walk into our lives, that's a great balance. Yeah. Right. So take that in your hat, um, a banker. Right. <laughs> yeah, banker. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, do, do you feel like do you feel like you're <sighs> has the the choices that you've made in in your life up to this point in time did it ever feel like you were just collecting things and hoping the outcome would work or or was it just a joy to have the journey 
I, I asked this, this selfishly as, as someone who I'm a collector. I love different things. I love reading lots of different things. Like earlier when you were talking about your parents reading books to each other, like my brain immediately wants to know what type of books did they read? Just cause I'm just curious of, cause like that rich connection that your parents had, but like you, you, you learned the rhetoric and the communication. You've had all of these amazing mentors and, and grown and had this experience and now have, you know, the photography business, both commercial and wedding, as well as your education that, that you guys teach other photographers. When you look at where you are now, does it feel like the culmination of everything that led up to this point? Or does it just feel like this is just a chapter and, and the next chapter is yet to be written? I think it is a culmination for sure. Like, for example, you know, if you look back on how many times I traveled Europe alone, and I, was, I, was, I had a, a, a Canon AE-1 film camera. I also had a, a, a Mamiya 7, you know, with film with a six by nine negative, right? And I was coming back to Portland and, and processing all these this film on my own dime, you know, going to the lab and processing all the film and, the, and talking to all the photographers at the time where we could do that, which culminated, right, into this understanding the creative process and also all the technical aspects and just the, the rewards of all that. But at, at some point I was like, I had all these albums from all this traveling that I'd done kind of breaking even along the way, like coming back to save money, going off on these adventures, printing all these images and making these albums and writings and then doing it all over again. And, and it was just like, what am I doing? Am I, am I just like writing this really, sensitive wave that is going to crash on me eventually and i'm going to just tumble onto the uh, under the coral and die <laughs> you know like um but it i it was i was so fulfilled with energy from that um that i just kept doing it um even though i knew the risk of it um so even today i still am on these these edges that i come and go through uh it's just life right it's it's the risk of running, you know, being an entrepreneur, you're, you know, the, the, the economy, the, uh, the climate of the culture is always changing. And, uh, but, I, but today, I guess, to answer your question, um, I, I feel at this point in my career, after doing this for almost 19 years or 19 years now, um, when I when we, when we run up against like questions of like oh my god what's our business doing, uh, there's this kind of inner peace, trust, that I trust the 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 accumulation of all those experiences will bring something good back again. Does that make sense? It's like I think it was referred to in going back to the rhetoric terms is called ethos, which is competence, integrity, and goodwill. So having competence, integrity, goodwill, and on, anima, that was it. Anima is spirit. When you have spirit and passion tearing through you and your voice and your mind, and you have competence and you have integrity and you have goodwill, that is a force in and of itself right there. I think that's, and that, that can give you, uh, I think it, it, at, at some point it can give you this, this momentum that you might not even be aware of, that, that the laws of attraction just come Maybe I should be quoted against me if, if something happens to me in the next year or two, but, but that's, um, 
you know, right now, like this year, for example, is a little bit is lower bookings for us. And I'm like, hmm, when did that happen? It's like, I started questioning like, okay, well, we were in Europe last year. And so all of our marketing went to Europe last year and it didn't go locally. Hmm. Uh, maybe that messed it. Maybe that kind of messed with, with something with SEO or whatever, or word of mouth because, or maybe people think we're too untouchable because we were over in Europe, <laughs> but, um, but still deep inside of me, I, you know, from all the experience, the, experiences leading up to this point, I, I feel trust. I trust myself that something, even though I, I continue to take risks or, or maybe look into the face of, of doubt, um, something will come because I'm following my heart, following my bliss. Yeah. Trusting in that goodness. Um, if you put good out to the world, I think it will come back garbage in garbage out, right? Or good, good out, good, good back or however that phrase goes, right? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, complete tangent, but I'd be remiss yes. to not bring this up because the concept of it in my life came from from you. Fasting, prolon, five day fasts, <laughs> that, that sort of like that whole world. Where did that enter your life, and 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 why? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I it's. I, you know, as a photographer, it's very, very uh, taxing on our bodies and our minds. You know, if you're shooting like 16, 17 or more hour days and you've shot over, you know, we shot 30,000 photos in Italy last year at a wedding. And, you know, you wake up with cramps in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. and you're walking a cramp off and you're like asking yourself, whoa, what did I just do? Right. <laughs> um, uh, but but going back to your question, uh, the practice of yoga is is the answer of, to what you're you're asking me. And I I learned to practice yoga. I'd been practicing Ashtanga yoga, which which was like a three hour practice of yoga. <clears throat> Here in Portland, there was a community that I was connected with for about five years that, and there was this uh, yoga studio called Yoga Pada, which Pada means foot, right? So everything rooted from the foot. And this this teacher that was in there had had studied with all these these yogi uh, masters around the world, and then brought back all these teachings into Portland and started a whole community. And he was a master chef, also from San Francisco. It's a very interesting guy, very very articulate. So such a good practice of uh, a, a, a practicer of yoga himself. But he had two two uh, assistants in the room while teaching, and so these assistants would come around. And they would adjust us while he's teaching us. And it was like crazy powerful. Like, you know, we're practicing yoga like from like five in the morning to like eight in the morning. And you'd walk out of there just beaming, you know, you just feel like, wow, like it just felt so light. And I felt so strong and I felt so flexible and I could breathe and I could, my mind was clear and I could, I could, I could work myself through intensities with, with grace, gravity and grace. And, um, so to answer your question about fasting, fasting became kind of like a, a yoga practice to me. Because when else do we give our, our, our organs a break, right? Like if, you know, we're constantly feeding our organs all the time, that's, that's super taxing. And if, if we want, you know, to look at the long haul, 
why not just cleanse ourselves of all the toxins through 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 fasting test our also mind and our character through actually being able to endure the the fasting process um and then of course i had a great friend by the name of jeff grimm who is a nurse practitioner who who specializes in anti-aging medicine and he has a clinic here in portland called bio lounge pdx where he invites people in to hack their bio and he's the leading uh, spokesperson for prolon therapy that was written by it was a it was a the, the best fasting mimicking diet in the world written by this guy named uh, oolong dr oolong and Long, um, longo longo oolong yeah okay dr. i'm thinking of, of, i'm thinking yeah. of i'm thinking of tea, oolong tea. <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 um but but jeff is like this walking encyclopedia it's kind of like you he has that kind of mind he's like a scientist Hmm. he's like a super nerdy geeky scientist with a lot of humor and compassion and he's promoting um people to do intermittent fat not not only intermittent fasting but this fasting mimicking diet that's a five-day fast that you've done yep Uh, and he, he suggests we do it three times a year so that's I mean, he, he just really reinforced that whole thing. So it was a combination of yoga and then being around my friend Jeff with um, the fasting mimicking diet that I feel like is uh, a kind of a sort of a fountain of youth um, to me um, for being able to deal with the stress, stress of life and being a photographer particularly. It's been very helpful slow yeah, I mean, down there's not a lot of photographers wedding photographers who who make it past you know their early 40s in the game because it is just really really hard on your body and so if you don't you know if, if it's not like you and tree with with yoga and fasts or lanny and erica and you know running marathons all the time like i feel like the body just can't keep up no yeah especially shooting at that level of intensity right yeah where yeah. you're just shooting like documentary wedding photography is so so demanding so demanding yeah. it's crazy like you're 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 sweating so much that the sweat is going through your eyes and you can it's your eyes are stinging as you're shooting <laughs> through these crazy moments and you're trying to breathe because you just ran around this whole thing and dove on the ground you know, like right? so do, do you feel a direct benefit like after doing uh uh the, the five day the fast mimicking diet like does does your body feel better? Because when I did, I've only done it the one time, and admittedly was not at the like the peak of my health. I was I was in the, probably the mm. worst shape of my life, which was one of the reasons why I decided to do it. And I just felt like it took me weeks to recover from it. Like I was oh, just wow. yeah. But for you guys, three times a year, like what does it feel like after after you do it? Um, I feel I feel a little bit weary in the middle of the process for sure. Mm-hmm. There's a kind of a you hit a kind of a wall, where but then you you go through that wall and at the tail end of it for me anyway, you kind of hit this point where it actually you have energy on the fifth day, and then it kind of lasts after that. According to Jeff, we're stimulating our our um uh or we're, we're stimulating the what are they called the the tele the telemeters hmm. uh, in our DNA I guess. And that those are those are kind of determine your 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 youth or your length of life. Mm. Um, it's more than just losing weight because it targets body fat. Yeah, the 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 fasting mimicking diet, which is really interesting because it doesn't you know you're you're eating just enough where it doesn't eat your 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 muscle. 
but it targets yeah. body fat. Yeah, but it also a, cleans a, up a, all a your autophagy or autophagy. I can't remember how it's pronounced, but yeah, like it's like it cleans the system up, like it gets rid of all of that, like the bad fats and, and things like that. It's really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. All, your body just freaks out and goes, okay, I'm going to clean this up over here, clean this up over here. We're just, it's just cleaning house, right? Yeah. So, you know, that on top of eating clean is what we like to do. Yeah. I want to, I want to, I want to live as long as I can. I love life. I'm, I'm in love with life. Right. So, yeah. Well, and it's not uh, just a, a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Andrew Funderburg. He talks about it too. It's like, it's not just about um, living as long as possible, but it's having the best quality of life while you're living exactly. as long as possible. And totally. uh, yeah, like there's so much, there's so much about it coming out now with, with Dr. Longo and, uh, you know, Dr. Peter, Peter Atias talks about it a lot. He's got a podcast around it now and everything like this, this concept of, of longevity is, uh, it's quite fascinating to me. It's, it's exhausting reading it all, which I feel like I need to step back from just like absorbing the knowledge and get, just get into the practice of it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Just dive, just trusted it. It's, I mean, there's so many scientists surrounding it. So many great, good, you know, people with tremendous ethos encouraging this. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I've had resistance with it, of course. Like I've, I've woken up in the middle of the night, kind of like feeling like a little bit of a panic attack. Like it's my, you know, my energies, my, my body's just kind of readjusting. I can feel my, all my organs and everything just kind of like recalibrating themselves. And when I first did it, I was kind of like, kind of like, whoa, I felt kind of like high in the middle of when I was trying to sleep. And, but it's proven itself. Like, you know, like every time I do it, I, I kind of shave off this, like maybe eight pounds. And at the end of that, I feel super light. I'm like, wow, I feel really clean. I just reset my whole system. And mm-hmm. now I can kind of take myself to the next level. So yeah. Tree does a lot of intermittent fasting. I think Matt Lanny does a lot of that too. Right? Yeah, yeah, lots of intermittent people do. I, I did it for a while. Uh, and then my therapist was like, stop it. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's uh, that all, all of that stuff is, is super fascinating. And I, I think there's a lot of different methodologies that work for different people. Um, okay, so we've talked... We've talked parents and grandparents. We've talked communication, <laughs> rhetoric, <laughs> photography, travel, poetry. Is there is there any part of you that that I haven't touched on that you feel is missing? That is is like a a, a really big piece of your journey and and that has brought you to where you are today. Uh, hmm. You know. Um... I think it's a. Oh, there's. I think it's really important to be your own mentor. You know, um, and I also think it's important to always seek out mentors throughout your whole journey. Um, I think you know it could be a really good friend, it could be a professor, it could be you know, who knows? It could be you know the woman on the on the bus in Turkey who who just gave me a you know water and bread and, and an egg in a in, in a matter of five seconds and i'm still telling that story today 20 years later right <laughs> um, mentor and kindness and generosity but you know like yeah like being yeah. your own mentor like which because which takes on i think being your, your your own your own your 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 own accountability partner mm. 
Um, I had a great, I have a really, uh, my best friend of all time. His name's Danny. He's an acupuncturist. And he, in the middle of, he and I, in the middle of, the, of COVID, decided to be accountability partners. And so every two weeks, we would get on at 6.30 in the morning and we would have a video call and we would talk about what's going on mm-hmm. and keep each other accountable. And, uh, and not only cause I, we were, we were realizing cause he lives in Southern Oregon now with his wife and I don't see him as much. And, and I, I mentioned to him, I'm like, Oh, I really feel like we're not connected anymore a little bit. And we're kind of starting to become distanced. And he's like, Hey, let's just be accountability partners. And I thought that was extremely, it's been extremely powerful to some, have somebody to where you can really be vulnerable and totally uh, transparent with, mm. and you can ask them to keep you accountable. Um, and you've done that for me too. You know, being a business coach was, has been incredibly profound. Um, and I think that's, that's a golden nugget. That's, that's kind of like, you know, rooting from the same thing my parents are doing, reading to each other. Like, there's something powerful about that. But, um, and I think with that, what I, what I wanted to, my, my original thought to that question that you answered was, was having a sense of humility. That I think is, is a huge mindset and not coming from a sense of, of uh, lack of confidence or lack of powerlessness, but to, 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 to surrender to being open and learning and, and, and never assuming anything. It's like, it kind of goes back to the four agreements, right? Where you're, you're being impeccable with your word. You're, you're never making any assumptions. You're always doing your best. And you're, what was the, the fourth one? <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like the yeah. four agreements, that was a super powerful book. Um, but, but that comes with humility. And um, I think it, it, you know, through all the experiences I've had, maybe, maybe I've developed all these skills and I have, somewhat some ethos in my life it, it comes back to though begin remaining hum- humble um and displaying humility in front of somebody who who's standing before me that i could listen to really closely and learn something from or, or, or listen to my own thoughts you know um so i think humility is a is a would be an interesting exploration uh uh to talk more about or uh, just have a practice of humility, I think is, is, is great. Um, but there's many things we can talk about. <laughs> maybe, maybe on a, a part two someday. I think that would be part beautiful. Two, yeah. 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 <laughs> I feel like we could yeah. probably do this once a week and, and still come up with different things. I was humiliated because I took on a, I was riding a skateboard because tree was taken on, 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 on a roller skating in the middle of COVID. And I started riding mm. a skateboard longboard. And um, I I almost like crashed and f- and fell on the on the concrete and I I went into this diving roll to get out of this this whole because like, I hit the curb in the front of you know the, the skateboard goes behind you and then you and then you're on top of the skateboard it flies behind you and you, you do this tumble yeah it's like ooh I can't I can't injure myself <laughs> I, I got too many clients to serve right <laughs> got me humble. Yeah. yeah. Humility is good. Humility is a good thing. Amazing. Um, well, wh- where can, but, where can yeah. people find you if they, if they want to connect with you, if they want to learn from, from you and tree or hire you for a wedding or, or anything is, uh, wh- where's the best place for people to, to, yeah. seek, to seek you out? Well, 
um, I think it was you and I that you you you, su- you strongly suggested that we we brand our name as jossandtree.com. Mm-hmm. So J-O-S-A-N-D-T-R-E-E.com is, is where we are. And uh, that translates into Facebook. It translates into Instagram. It translates into everything we have. Um, in addition to our last names, woodandsmith.com, which is our commercial brand. Amazing. And so that's where you can find it. You can find our education there underneath Joss and Shree where we do all our workshops. Of course, you can see all our portfolio. You can see everything we write, all the suggestions and tips and tricks about everything that we do there. Um, but yeah, that's the main hub of how you can find us. And, and we always love a good dialogue. So uh, people who write to us um, and are and immediately want to jump on a video call, that's kind of our style. Yeah. You know, as opposed to this this back and forth of writing all this stuff, all that, you know, which became feels really kind of like one dimensional flat. Yeah. You know, people jump jump right out of a video call with us. That that's the magic right there. Beautiful. Well, thank you yeah. so much for uh, for hanging out with me today. It's it's always uh, a pleasure getting to have a conversation with you. <laughs> I, it's a total honor, Dave. I, I'm kind of I'm not used to talking about myself so much. But, uh, <laughs> it's easy to do it with you, and we always have a good talk. And uh, yeah. I appreciate your. You know, you know I, I was describing somebody. I, I was describing you to somebody recently, and I said, you know, it's not. It's not every day you run into somebody who's ex- extraordinarily knowledgeable from all the passion that you, from all the information that you absorb, which I think equates to highly intelligent <laughs> and somebody who's kind. Hmm. The combination of intelligence and kindness is, is a very rare combination and you have that. That's a gift. And I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure and uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. Absolutely. Anytime. All right. There you have it. My episode with Joss Woodsmith, uh, my dear friend. And hopefully you can also see uh, one hell of a conversationalist, a amazing photographer, and just a great guy to talk to. Thanks so much for hanging out with me on episode two of So Damn Curious. There are more episodes to come. I'm recording more as we speak. I just can't wait to keep this project going. Uh, When I originally recorded these episodes over a year ago, I wasn't really sure what this was going to be, but I'm starting to figure that out now as I release the episodes and invite new guests on. So I'm excited for you to come along on this journey with me and figure out where we're going to be. And... If you're interested in learning more, you can check out my website at davemosscoach.com. I'm on all socials at davemosscoach. Uh, I would love to have a conversation with you sometime. Drop in my comments and let people know who you are and what you're curious about. And yeah, that's kind of where we're at right now. So I'm going to stop rambling and let you go on about your day. But thanks for hanging out. Stay curious and I'll see you soon.